0: The path doesn't have to be straight. We have and a lot more information. Your job is to have an to to why picture and value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts
1: now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome everyone to the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please
2: remember to subscribe to our podcast and you can follow us on all social channels. Our handle is at
1: We Get Real AF. Women's health and biometric data are often an afterthought with priority given to our male counterparts in a variety of different sectors from medical and wellness advice, health and fitness training to the wearable tech products being developed that rarely consider the complex and beautiful makeup of women. The way we care for our bodies and take preventative measures for optimal health are uniquely different, and modern medicine is ever-changing and advancing. So why are we still relying on antiquated medical methods with respect to diagnosis and treatment when there are better, less invasive options that are proven to be equally effective and accurate as traditional methods? Well, insert the brilliant and disruptive leaders at Mamogen, a woman-led biotech company who's using data, tech, science, and experience to shatter complacency. We are excited to welcome founder and chairman, Martin Kaiser, and CEO, Elizabeth Cormier-May. As they share their innovative ways, they are radically improving detection, diagnosis, and treatment of women's health-related disease. Marty and Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, before we get started, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you online?
0: The best way would be to go to Mamagen's website, which is www.mamagen.bio, And there is a spot there where you can email us and either Marty and I respond to every single inquiry, question, request. We just want
1: to get to know you email that comes in that way. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to let you both take this away. What is Mamagen? Oh, that's such a fun question to answer.
0: And I think the the best way, uh, to give you guys, to give everybody a background on who we are and what we do is to understand a little bit how Mamogen fits into a larger puzzle. And so for that, Marty, why don't you introduce the world to Ivy Bioholdings and then we can drill down to Mamogen.
3: Sure. Sounds good. Thank you. So, uh, as as liz mentioned i lead a bioinnovation studio called iv bio holdings uh, established that in 2018 uh, with the sole purpose of creating multiple liquid biopsy companies Each centered around novel biomarkers, truly novel science that can allow us to to detect disease earlier, diagnose disease easier, and treat disease more precisely. Mamagen is a pure play women's health powerhouse with a flagship focus in breast cancer. Mammogen uh, is is fairly unique in that it's the first company where we've actually hired somebody to run that entity. Most important was that we hire a female to run this business, uh, somebody who can actually relate to the problem, the very problem that the company is established to solve. Uh, the universe connected us to Liz Cormier-May, uh, who is not only an amazing leader for Mamagen, but also serves as the commercialization guru and, and really my right hand across all things Ivy Bio Holdings. So that's you know, the, an overview on the, biz, the studio uh, and maybe a good intro into Liz, um, you know, into your background and, and a little bit more on Mamogen.
0: Yeah, so my, my background is a bit unique for a lot of leaders in this space. I actually started as a scientist, um, and I think that's really important to understand because I was actually in early discovery oncology working on breast cancer products, um, and it was just always a bit too removed from the patient for me. I loved the science. I loved what I was doing, but I had no meaningful impact. I I couldn't feel or touch or see the difference I was making. And that was hard for me. So I moved over to the commercial side and and have focused on trying to bring innovative solutions to patients. We are women-led. We have 50% of our investors are women. Our board is nearly 50% women. All of these things are tremendously important to understand because it makes the way we function drastically different than pretty much any other women's health company out there. The majority of them, certainly the big ones, are almost exclusively run by men. There are a few exceptions, but I have to, I have to pose a pretty simple question. How can a man understand the fear that is caused when you find a lump in your breast? or the 17 years on average that goes into suffering before a woman is diagnosed with endometriosis or the decisions that come after figuring any of those problems out. Um, So there's something very special about having women leading the company, making the decisions and always keeping the patient at the end of every single decision we make. So this has brought me right back to my roots in women's health and puts me Directly, right next to the patient. And that's where I want to be. Creating a sense of community is the core to all of that. It's something that makes us quite different. Um, So I spend just as much time talking to breast cancer patients and survivors as I do looking at financial projections and creating partnerships and doing all of the normal CEO stuff, right? Because we believe strongly that in order to most meaningfully launch any product into this women's health market, we have to have a community behind us. What's different about what you guys do versus what's out there? Liquid biopsy means we are diagnosing a disease or a condition from the biofluids that exist within your body. Biofluids are anything that's not solid, right? So it could be blood, it could be tears, it could be urine, any of the fluids that we create. Um, and that's important to understand Because it opens up a tremendous amount of opportunities for physicians and patients to more effectively diagnose and treat disease. It's really hard when you need to go in and get a piece of tissue to diagnose a disease. You can't always go back in your brain and cut out another piece, right? You can't always go back into your lung and easily retrieve another piece of tissue to continue to learn about the patient's state. So being able to do these things from biofluids offers a tremendous advantage. We all get to a set of biomarkers. Biomarkers are just pieces of information that are floating around in our body. Um, they could be in DNA, they could be in RNA, they could be in proteins. We focus on RNA. We use a system called evolutionary modeling that looks at real life patient data, data sets that have already been created And we are fortunate that we mine all of our data sets from the NIH, taking enormous amounts of data, putting it into this evolutionary modeling system. That's our base platform. And it creates Turing algorithms. Algorithms are simple mathematical equations. um, And these algorithms start to behave like humans. They evolve, they mate, they mutate, they migrate. Um, And what happens at the end of that process is we get a minimal set of biomarkers that has a maximum amount of accuracy. We repeat that process over and over and over again until we have a relatively large set of biomarkers, all that preserve really high sensitivity and specificity in whatever clinical question we're trying to answer. We're finding biomarkers that are hugely important in not just diagnosis, but early detection diagnosis. These biomarkers have never before been associated with these cancer states. So you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? Are, are we wrong? or is nobody answering the question in the right way before? And it's most definitely the latter. And we know that because remember, I go back to the point where I said, we are using data sets and research sets that we already know the outcome for, right? So it's like, we're answering questions in a new way, but we're using answers that we already know are correct. right? We already have information on these patients. We already know what stage disease they have. We already know their outcomes. And then we're looking at all that information in a new way. So we are seeing markers that have never before been seen in breast cancer. Um, to give you a, a, an example of that, some of the 26 biomarkers that we have at Mamagen for early detection breast cancer, some of them are associated with central nervous system function. Some are associated with oxidative processes, right? But none of them ever before in breast cancer. And that's why we're able to answer what has been a, traditionally very difficult question to answer. How do you detect early stage breast cancer? Well, you detect it by using our processes at Mamogen, And we have now done it in over 350 patients across multiple biofluids. So we've done it in blood, we've done it in saliva, both very interesting, right? Because as the world is moving to a more virtual healthcare model. Being able to very easily um, collect patient samples is a huge advantage. I mean, just think about that for a minute. What if, what if we can detect stage one breast cancer from saliva? What does that mean for the world, right? What does that mean for areas of the world where doctors don't exist, where there are, there there are no screening, there are no yearly well women visits, right? So you can start to see the impact that being able to tackle these problems is going to have for women here in the U.S. and the world abroad. It's very important to remember that as hard as we're moving, and as much progress as we're making in the U.S., there are parts of the world where women still don't even have access to physicians, period.
1: Exactly. There was the stat that you you and Marty provided to us when we did our initial phone call oh, yeah. about women's results and diagnoses. And it was like, you know, um, women age uh, under 40 and then over 55. Can you touch on that? Because I, I that was really impactful.
0: So there are two Gen True tests. There is one for early detection. This is meant for women under 40. And this is very important to understand. Women under 40 are not eligible for yearly mammograms. And there's a really good reason for that. Mammograms were never designed to accurately diagnose breast cancer in this age group for two reasons. One, because traditionally women under 40 have dense breasts, simply means lumpy boobs, right? Nothing special about that. And two, because the prevalence of disease is, as compared to older populations of women, far, far less. So, Imaging like mammography, like any other type of diagnostic is designed around a specific population of women. And so that means this translates to women under 40 who get a mammogram, let's say I feel a breast, I feel a breast lump, my OBGYN says, "Ooh, hey, Liz, you know, we need to check that out. I go for a mammography, the results from that are no better than a coin toss. Oh, gosh. That's disturbing. That's crazy. The mammography is less than 50% accurate in women under
3: 40. When we were incubating mammogen at, at Ivy Bio Holdings, you know, that was just such a, um, a a glaring opportunity to me. That was, you know, I completely understand why that guideline is in place because of the limitations of of the technologies for screening. But the next question was, but is that really... Acceptable. Do we just (laughs) do we just accept that for you know at face value and just completely ignore somewhere north of 40 million women between the ages of 18 and 40? Or do we find a better solution that overcomes and, and solves for some of those limitations? And to Liz's point, we do that by measuring the biology, the patient's biological response to disease. literally the way that our biomarkers get overexpressed or underexpressed when disease takes root in your body in the earliest stages. And that's the most reliable and consistent way to detect things. But the idea here, you know, to be clear is not necessarily to replace the mammogram or the existing standards of care. The idea here is to unlock a, a regular and reliable tool for screening for the women that just have no other option or alternative today. And if a result comes back positive, rule those women into the more traditional, Traditional, you know, care pathways of MRI and ultrasound and and mammography, um, but then solve another, you know, equally as important problem on the other side of that, which is the potential for unnecessary biopsies that c- come as a result of false positives from MRIs and from ultrasounds and from mammograms, and that leads into the second product that Liz was talking about, which is our post imaging diagnostic, the the Gen-Tru, um. Uh, PID test, which is really uh, you know designed to reduce the number of negative biopsies that get performed every year because there's uh, about close to 2 million breast biopsies done in the US annually and 1.3 million of them are actually not breast cancer, which is great news that it's not breast cancer, but think about the wasted time and mm-hmm. the costs and the stress and the anxiety and, and mm-hmm. everything that you know a lot of us have been through. Um, you know, either personally or or through a family member. And, and it's scary. So being able to rule more of the right women in to the existing standards of care, but then rule more of the wrong women out of the unnecessary procedures. Those are two really massive opportunities. Uh, and just to close out on that point, and Liz, sorry to, to steal your thunder on it, but the women over 55 is is really, there's a a, a unique opportunity both for screening, but more so for the ruling out uh, in women over 55, because in that age group, despite the fact that you're at your highest risk of developing breast cancer between the age of 55 and 70, the uh, the current guidelines only recommend mammograms every other year. So, And we all know that breast cancer doesn't wait for your mammogram year mm-hmm. to go up. And so you have a lot of time where there's just no regular, reliable tools for detecting or diagnosing. And so, and and more importantly, if you're in that age group, you you are at a higher risk for breast cancer. Therefore, if they see anything on an MRI or an ultrasound or a mammogram, and they don't rule you into a biopsy, there's an enormous liability at stake there. And so that's one of the reasons why you see so many biopsies. Uh, but it's also one of the reasons why they they recommend mammograms every other year because they're trying to manage that process. Of, of the amount of overflow of unnecessary procedures, again, a non-invasive tool could be a really nice way to, to help mitigate some of those negative biopsies, but still give a nice tool to catch it in the off mammogram year.
2: It almost sounds to me like, you know, we have these somewhat antiquated
1: diagnostic tools that we're trying to shoehorn into a wide swath of women. Oh, it's almost a level of precision medicine, right? Like mm-hmm. it's taking precision medicine and extending it that much further. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? In my mind, we're we're doing exactly what everybody is saying they want to do in medicine, find the right treatment, the right tools for the right patient at the mm-hmm. right time. When you can get all three of those things in line, that is precision medicine. Anything that falls short of that is a step in the right direction, but it is not precision
1: medicine.
2: Um, when you talk about really young women, you know, not being screened for breast cancer. I can think of four or five women I know who were diagnosed with breast cancer in their 20s and early 30s. So, you know, and yeah. I was shocked when I started to hear that because you, you don't think about women that young um, getting breast cancer. Yeah. But how long could a breast cancer be brewing? So that kind of
0: depends on a number of different things, right? So most people catch breast cancer because there's some type of physical manifestation. Either we feel a lump or we don't feel good and it leads to tests that diagnose breast cancer. Now, here's a scary thing about women under 40. Sure, our pr- prevalence might be lower than women over 40 or over 50, but the women under 40 often are diagnosed or more often diagnosed with a more progressive form of the disease and they're more likely to recur. So now we're talking about exceptionally young women who should have a full life ahead of them being diagnosed with a disease that's more likely to be worse and more likely to come back. How do we not have something better than a mammography that was never designed for them to help them through this journey, right? Question number one. The other thing to remember, these women, most women under 40 are still making very important decisions about their life, whether it be family planning. Um, do I want kids? How many kids? What happens when you're 35 and you're not done having kids or haven't started having kids and you're told you have breast cancer? Well, what often happens is you don't have enough time to think about. Never mind answer those questions because the second you find out and you're under 40, you are on to the breast oncologist, the breast surgery, the breast oncologist to start your treatment. Um, and lay out that path. You don't have an extra month or two to talk to a reproductive endocrinologist to talk about should I freeze my egg? Should I not? What are my options? What does that look like? What are the implications? Um, you barely have enough time to sit down with your spouse and partner and say, I have breast cancer. What are we going to do? Right? So, a big part of our mission at Mamagen is to, with our diagnostic, offer them a very important gift, and that's time.
3: Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening.
1: Liz, thank you so much for bringing that up because, you know, I will admittedly say I haven't thought of those questions, you know, and I don't know if, you know, until you're in that situation or a a direct family member or a close friend is going through it, those are things that people just don't talk about, which to your point, these things happen and we need to have these conversations.
3: I want to jump in there. (laughs) It is, I think, the number one reason why we were so excited to be on your show and to speak to your listeners and the the title, The Real AF, because – the truth is, as much as we are so proud of our science and our data and our technology, we are equally as excited about the opportunity to build a, a community and talk about the things that people don't want to talk about and create a mm-hmm. centralized place to pull all that information from and have those open dialogues. We have advisors, uh, you know, breast surgeons that are advisors that that fully buy into this mission for us that recognize the fact that there's more than just detecting, diagnosing, and treating this disease. There are the questions about body issues. There are the questions about, you know, self-esteem issues, marital challenges, post-treatment. There's so many things. This is not just specific to breast cancer. This is really across all women's related diseases. And we want to be able to create a place where we can actually address a lot of those things in an open, comfortable forum.
0: Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to get back to the original question, everybody's journey with breast cancer is individual it's why we need to bridge the gap right somebody may have breast cancer that's only been there for months and then catch it early enough where it barely impacts their life in some ways other people it could be in there for years brewing it all depends what type of breast cancer it and there are lots of different types of breast cancer some more aggressive than others um some with far better outlooks than others there how often do they go to the doctor do they do breast tests all of these things really play into how long can breast cancer be there before you find it? There's no right answer because it's different for everybody. Um, And that's why, right? That's that's why we need to talk about these things, Not not just the test and the science and the company, but we need to bring patients into that, into every decision we make. We need to think about all of these things because that's how we create the community. That's how we become that bridge between support and science. Um, and some of the most meaningful moments I've had as CEO of this company was talking to women and learning about things that, that Vanessa, like you, I had not given thought to. And we are women and we go for our well with visits every year. And I do self breast checks, right? So you feel like you, you've thought about everything. You've covered everything. you You haven't. I talked to one woman who was post her tamoxifen year. So she's at least five years out um, of being a survivor. Right. And she said, there are two things nobody ever thinks of one, your graduation day from chemo and radiation is the scariest day. It's scarier than the day you're diagnosed because you go from having a whole team of people around you to being back out in the world. And, but, but you're cured. You're, you're not cured. You're not the same person you were the day before you found out you had breast cancer. How do you navigate that? Right. And two, this woman happened to be a competitive runner and she said, Liz, I got through the chemo. I got through the radiation. I got through throwing up every day. Nobody ever told me that chronic lymphedema is a hugely normal, prevalent aftermath of all of this care. Nobody ever told me that I wouldn't be able to competitively run again because my knees are so swollen, I can barely walk. Mm. All of these things that we don't talk about, that we don't think about, that. And it's not anybody's fault, right? Docs are doing the best they can. They are charged with keeping you alive. They keep you alive and they move on to the next patient that they need to keep alive. There isn't enough time for them to say, oh, hey, but this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And they don't, certainly don't check back with you five years later to see how
1: you're doing, right? They can't, that's an
0: unreasonable expectation, but we can.
1: You gave me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It was visceral because I had never thought of that, but I can only relate it to, there was a short stint with our firstborn where she, you know, came out and she went to the ICU and I know Sue so you with one of your daughters was in were the, in the ICU yes. and mm-hmm. there was a obviously this thing where we're like, oh, we just want to be healthy enough to go home and get out of the ICU, but then there's also that like day that they take her off machines that you're like, "Can we take one of those mm-hmm. home?" Because yeah. we want to make sure that we can continue monitoring and w- that's the only thing that's analogous that I can feel and I and I got goosebumps because you're right. Like the minute that you're off and you're like, "Okay, right. Congratulations. And you're like, hold on a second. You're flying (laughs) solo now. That's
2: yeah. Absolutely. And also I think, you know, to, to y'all's point, young women don't think it could happen to me because if it's not even a recommended regular screening, it must not be a thing that I have to worry about till later on in life. Right. And so, um, so that's just gotta be even more jarring. If you could talk more about how how women access this community that you that you guys are building? My dream, if I look
0: twelve months into the future, would be to have a, a very defined place on our on our website where you enter into the Mamagen community portal, and anybody who wants to partner with us and be part of what we're building is is somehow represented there. And so, if you need to talk to a woman after you just saw yourself. The first time after having mastectomy and you feel like your life is falling apart, well, there will be other women there who want to have that conversation with you. If you are suffering from chronic lymphedema, um, what if there were providers and other women and support groups who focus on that? We're, we're partnering with this wonderful company called Brilliantly, which is a women-led company of, of, of this woman, Kristen, who calls herself a Previver. Her mom had very early breast cancer. She had a prophylactic mastectomy um, to ensure that that would not happen to her and very quickly realized, yikes, I'm really uncomfortable after this prophylactic mastectomy and reconst- reconstructive surgery. Cause my boobs are always cold and not just like, Ooh, it's a little chilly in here, like painfully cold all the time. And she started talking to other women and they're like, Hey, me too, me too, me too. And she realized this is a really big problem. So she just launched breast warmers. You know, like you go to a football game and you put hand warmers in your gloves, same thing. You stick these in your bra and it keeps you comfortable. Um, So there are so many groups and women out there creating these amazing things that we don't think of as part of the traditional clinical care pathway.
2: But they are and they should be. And nobody should have to go through this alone and nobody should have to keep reinventing the wheel. Right. And I would think that this community that you're describing could also, and perhaps it already does also include family members and spouses because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. cancer doesn't just, Oh, totally. doesn't only affect the patient. It affects all their loved ones as well. So. Absolutely.
0: No, I talked to one woman who said she, she felt Like once her plan was laid out, she said, okay, I can tackle that shit. It was way harder watching her husband try to navigate it than it was for her to actually be the one navigating it. Because think about it as a spouse, it's not you going through it. You really can't do a whole lot other than hold their hand and be there and check in. Yet you're suffering just as much as they are watching the person you love fight to live. So there has to be resources for spouses, kids, family members. You know, we talked with one woman who who said the best part of all of this, the most helpful thing was that people would bring dinner to her on her chemo days because she could not cook dinner for her kids. Mm. That's something Marty and I want to do regionally. Find people who will sign up for that, right? I mean, we do it all the time. Somebody passes, we bring them food, mm-hmm. right? Somebody we're celebrating, we bring food. Why can't you sign up once a month to bring somebody in your region a dinner because she's having chemo? Mm-hmm. I
2: just
1: really so applaud I right? just want mm-hmm. to commend
2: you. Yes.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, thing. I,
1: I want to talk about the importance of having a female led team. And, um, you know, you touched on it earlier when you said, you know, that the universe kind of collided when you met Liz, but, um, Talk about that some more and why that was such a big yeah. deal to
3: you. Uh, the, the incubation of this company really started when uh, my sister's best childhood friend at the age of 30 was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer, and she became the third woman Uh, actually technically the fourth in my most immediate sort of circle of whether it's family or close friends to be diagnosed below the age of 40. That was the impetus for what's going on here. You know, there's, there seems to be, you know, they're telling us it's not that prevalent, but in my own life, you know, in my own circle, there's four, take that and multiply that by everybody. And this has got to be a much bigger problem than, than we're being told, or at least maybe it's rising faster uh, than we thought. And so that sparked this. Um, Second to that is that I am married to my high school sweetheart. My wife is everything to me. Um, we have three daughters together eight, seven, and 15 months old. Uh, I have two sisters, three sister in laws, a mother, a mother in law. Women are so, I mean, I can't even describe how important women are to me in my life. So those are the personal sides of it. Um, you know, taking that forward to the business. It just made sense, not necessarily to only be female led, but the vision really was to create an overwhelming presence of women at every level of this company. And that's, you know, obviously starts at the top. So uh, we were so blessed to get Liz uh, to take this role and, and she's done amazing work with it. As she mentioned, you know, board represent female board representation, a very large presence of women our, on our cap table from our earliest investors, uh, which just for context, I don't have a single... Uh, Female investor across my other two entities, and so um, you know it was super uh, deliberate and intentional to try to unlock an investment opportunity for women. Um, You know, and I and I want to continue to do that, but this just felt so perfect. You know, a perfect place to start, and I was so proud of the fact that it really worked out that way. It's technically fifty-two percent female. We're approaching such a massive problem, such a massive unmet need such a competitive field. I mean, there's no shortage of people that want to try to solve these problems. And to me, it just, it didn't make sense to be just another end to end care company. I thought that this end to never end community would would be so much more impactful and give us that much more of an edge to, to actually solve these problems.
1: And Liz, I mean, you said you started out as a scientist. Um, I would love to kind of hear, we we often ask all of our, our guests um, kind of how they started out because they never, it's never like this straight linear path that a lot of people, a lot of people think or have in their head that that's how it is, right? Like you don't hear of someone and then the next day you hear about them and oh my gosh, it was like an overnight success, right? So talk to us a little bit about that. And also if you could integrate into that, some of the, um, you know, going back to liquid biopsy, what other diseases we can expect to potentially detect or diagnose using that technology in a
0: thousand years if somebody told me at 22 when i was graduating college that someday i would be the ceo of a company i would have told them they were nuts i did not take a business course in school i did not go to grad school for anything other than science so ending up here was never in my wildest dreams but the further as i left the lab and got my feet wet and started to learn about the business side of science. There were so many things that I just couldn't wrap my brain around. Simple things. At least they seem simple to me. Like, as the company, we spend a lot of marketing dollars trying to bring in our end users. And I'll define that as both physicians and patients and diagnostics, okay? A lot of money. Yet... The second they use our product and we send the patient a bill, we don't care about that patient anymore. They're gone. Wait a minute. What do you mean they're gone? We just gave them potentially awful news. And now we send them a bill and say, be on your way. Good luck navigating that. That just doesn't feel right. And it never has to me. But as I started to learn all these pieces, it just became more and more clear to me that I feel like we're missing the mark. As an industry, I feel like we could do better. I feel like we could bring a more comprehensive, respectful result experience to the patients. And so pretty much everything that I've done as I learned little tidbits about what goes into being successful in this industry, I always kept coming back to that one question, right? Well, okay, well, how do I do this in a way that's better for the patient, more meaningful for the patient? what I consider to be more fair and more respectful to the patient. How can we do that? How can I do both? How can I keep my shareholders and my investors happy and make really good business decisions when really what the most important thing to me is the patient? How do I I bring those two worlds together? And I have to say, Mamagen is really the first place that I feel like I'm actually accomplishing that. You're serving your patients if you, the last thing
2: you do is send them a bill. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that is so wise. I think that when you do that, when anybody does that, when they take their professional training and they pair that with their values and their gut and they follow their gut, that's where you really can make an impact and really have a successful career. Absolutely. And certainly you two are case points for examples of that. Thank you. I love that. And I, you know, I got to tell you, it's not always easy to
0: follow your gut. No, nope. sometimes you're the only voice in the room Girl. who has that opinion. <laughs> we know it. And it's, and, and, it's, and I, I got to be honest, I'm still working on that. I haven't perfected that. I haven't perfected finding my voice at the right time and standing up for myself every single time I should. That's a work in progress. I don't know that I'll ever truly nail that, but man. That is, if I could talk to every woman in college still right now, that is the one thing I would say is listen to your gut and don't give
1: a hoot whether or not anybody else shares that gut opinion. Amen. Yes, ma'am. All right, well, before we move on to the lightning round and you can kind of just uh, say a few few of those things, but what other diseases can liquid biopsy potentially detect in the future or diagnose?
3: If we have great data, great data, we can solve virtually any problem.
1: Biofluids
0: have so much information from so many healthy living cells, as well as the dying ones, and we can answer any question. And that's why RNA is so important, by the way. Those companies out there who are looking at just DNA, all they're getting is information from the dying cancer cells, right? Cancer's already done its job. It's dying. Why do you want answers then? If you look at RNA, you're getting real time information about the patient's specific biology response to the disease. That is why we're detecting early. That is why we can answer any clinical question.
2: You're looking in a different place, a different, you're we're looking in a different
0: place and we're looking at a different question. I don't care if the tumor's dying. I don't really care what the tumor just did. I care about what's happening. What's the patient's response to that? Mm-hmm how do I, How can I find the difference? How can I find the response I'm looking for to know that, hey, it's happening before I can see anything dying from a tumor?
1: Mm. Well, that's not powerful information. I don't know what else is. Mm. That's awesome. Well... I think that lightning round is in order if both of you are willing to, to do this with us. Uh, we usually like to ask our guests a series of questions just to get them to know them on a personal level. Um, and we'd love to hear both of your answers. Uh, and we'd like to make it fun and light. But uh, yeah, we'd like to make it sound really intimidating at first. The I'm nervous. Round. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs>
2: and then everyone's pleasantly surprised. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Sue, start us off. Okay. So we, we touched on a little bit of this, but I would love to hear from both of you three pieces of advice that you would give your younger selves.
3: You wanna go first, Marty? Uh, yeah, I'll, it's the advice I give my daughters. Uh, it's in three short sentences: life's short, move fast, but not too fast.
0: Mm. Picky. I would. Say, that's great. I would say find your voice early. Um, don't be afraid to be the only one with an opinion, and
1: know your limits. Know what lines you're willing to cross and which ones you're not. Mm. Yes. All right. How do each of you define success? If
0: I leave this world a better place
1: for my kids
0: than the one they came into, I've been successful.
3: Yeah. Mine, mine's almost identical. Just the number of, of lives that we could positively impact is that's my success. And, you know, right now, just very proudly our entire portfolio of of intellectual property is positioned to impact, positively impact the lives of 220 million Americans and over a billion people globally. There's a lot of work left to do. Um, there's a long road ahead of us, but that alone is something that I'm, I mean, I'm unbelievably proud of that. And I just want to see that number to continue to climb. You should yeah. be proud of I that.
0: I hope so. yeah. someday Goog- when somebody's Googling me, I hope they're not Googling my net worth. I hope they're Googling how many people's lives. I
2: got All right. Um, and this could be within your career or just outside to, to, to lighten if you want to, um, what is something about each of you that people would be surprised to know?
3: Uh, I'm a marketing major, uh, <laughs> with, with, uh, got a D in high school biology <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and spent my whole career in finance. Um, so really that, you know, the wrong degree from the wrong school, no business being in this business sort of thing. Um, but you know, followed my gut, followed my dreams, followed my passion. Um, but I think they'd be pretty surprised to know that.
0: I think for me, um, lots of people look at me and they think, man, she's strong, or she's not afraid of anything, or she always speaks her mind. And the only reason, and first of all, none of those things are true. I'm scared of tons of things. I don't always speak my mind the way I should, or as efficiently or effectively as I should. But the only reason I can do that is because I have a husband who never, ever asked me to slow down, asked me to take a step back from my career to raise our family. He, he stopped working so I could keep going as what I was doing. So our kids could remain home with one parent. And I just, if he was ever not in my world I could not
1: be the person I am. He's awesome. (laughs) I love it. All right, this is a fun one. What celebrity would each of you cast to play you in a movie? Jennifer Gardner. Oh, I love her. I just uh-huh. watched yesterday oh. with my with my uh daughter. Um we have movie nights on Fridays and she, she was just so good. I just love her. She's so like the American sweetheart I feel.
3: <laughs> I have no idea what how to answer that. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll throw that one back. Ryan Ryan
1: Reynolds. I'm going to get paid a big compliment because a lot of women find this man very, very attractive. Uh, Patrick Dempsey. They're both good choices. (laughs) But I like McDreamy, like Patrick Dempsey way back, like before Grey's Anatomy, we're talking about like, can't buy me love days. You know, that's like. Sweet home Alabama. That's a really (laughs) good one. Such a great movie, right? But he was like the geeky kid back then. And I thought, you know, he was just. You you hit the nail on
0: the
2: head with that one. (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right, y'all. What myth about women
2: in your sphere of influence, uh, and, and generally that's STEM and science, what myth about women would each of you like to dispel?
0: For me, it's that there's this notion that women can do it all, and they can do it on their own. They could be a mom, a CEO, a wife, a partner, a sister, but nobody can do it all. And so if we as a community, as a world, want women to really be as impactful and powerful as possible... You need to start considering better ways to provide resources, mm. whether that be healthcare or childcare or education, or, um,
2: you can't do it all. I have thought that my whole career, like this myth that, that yes, superwoman, I'm woman, hear me roar. I mean, yeah. you know, you need support to roar. I don't care if you're a woman or a man you you need, need, and you have, need support. you know, right. And we need
0: to be able to say no, I can't do it all, right. and not be afraid that somebody will say, "Oh, well, then she's not good enough exactly. to do this job exactly. or take this role." That's kind to stop.
3: Yeah, i w- I would have I have a hard time d- dispelling the myth. I m- want to more answer it as like my dream of what it could be, and you know, I think ultimately to get to a point where it's really not even discussed would be would make me happy. I, you know, the fact is we wanted this company to be female led because Liz could share in those experience with the patients that her company serves. But the reality is it doesn't matter what her, her you know, sex is. She's an amazingly qualified human being with more passion, more enthusiasm, more capability, more expertise, more experience than anybody I, I could ever find. And so, you know, getting to that point where it's just, it, it's just a level playing field, I mean, that, there shouldn't even be any myths anymore. It mm-hmm. should just be accepted. So that's sort of more my personal dream of, of what it could be, especially as I think about my daughters and, and their futures. So
1: I love it. All right. One last question for both of you. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. Think like a girl. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Women are powerful thinkers. We're genetically strategizers. We have to be.
2: Yeah, mm. agree. And I will just say, um, as as the mom of three daughters, I so appreciate what, you, what you're doing. The example that you're setting, the message that you're sending about solving big problems and building community and caring about the people behind everything that you're doing and empowering women to be part of that solution. I love all that. And I think we need just more voices
1: like yours. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Marty, when you said you have no business being in this business, I feel like we need more of those types of people integrated into all of these businesses that like need all of these certifications and this and that. Like I want people that don't necessarily, quote unquote, belong to have that mind in there, to have to raise their hand, to be that squeaky wheel in the Mm. room. So
3: thank you both so much. Truthfully, if you look at our state of healthcare today, it's about as broken and, um, you know, misallocation of every human and financial resource you could possibly think of. So if you think that doing it the way it's always been done is the right solution, <laughs> it's like there, there's, there has to be something done differently here. It, it it definitely makes a difference not having sort of been groomed through that process of mm-hmm. that traditional thinking mm-hmm. uh, And I I think you're right. I think we should see that in more businesses and more industries. We should see a cross-pollination of ideas and experience. And I think you'll see better outcomes.
1: Absolutely. We can do better and you both are doing it. So
3: thank you again for your time. Thank
1: you. Oh, it's a blast. Hi everyone. Thanks so
2: much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good.